Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Shutdown Forecast. That's the sound of magic being made here by Banner Society's only college football podcast. I mean, we do have an NFL podcast, EAPN. Are they still an Are they still an NFL podcast, Jason? <laughs> uh well yeah there i mean the nfl is still trucking along so there needs to be an nfl podcast and i don't believe it's us because the nfl is just uh it's, it's business as usual in the nfl because it is a uh a vital part of our not just economy because we don't have one of those i think a part of our i think it is our entire civic life now that i think about it the nfl nfl transactions it's the only thing we have <laughs> i was talking to my dad last night and dad's not particularly talkative, but he's in self-isolation. So he wanted to talk like a good 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, one one of the first things he wanted to talk about was, man, ESPN needs to put something else on. I can't watch Adam Schefter talk anymore. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, Adam Schefter is the only person speaking on TV that is not pre-recorded. Everyone else, we move forward in today's action due to time constraints that don't exist because time doesn't exist. But Adam Schefter, there are no time constraints on Adam Schefter. I, I enjoyed the, the communal outcry when during a replay of Texas USC, they said we have to move ahead for time constraints. <laughs> and, and everyone to a man and woman said, no. 
drag it out. <laughs> yeah, and not because we are desperate to see the second quarter of a 14-year-old football game, but more because, you know, now what the fuck are we going to do in the 11 hour? <laughs> Due to time constraints, there are no time constraints. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so thank you, NFL, for um, remaining your demented self and producing, you know, transactions and uniform updates and just all the normal stuff. As if we're gonna have a football season. That is weirdly, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's like stupid positive. You know, <laughs> like I know they're not doing yeah. it to, to make anyone happy, but like, at least somebody thinks we're gonna get through this. So great. I mean that's cool. I'm 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 glad people are I'm glad people are positive about these things, right? I, I'd like them to be positive about them. I don't want them to be stupid. This is probably where you have a fork in the road for some people. It's when they go, Oh, well look, Mr. Negative saying there's a disease. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fact. It's not being negative, you know. Why you gotta bring up old stuff? Sorry, are you saying facts don't care about their feelings? It's wild. Wild how facts don't really care about that. Or when you suggest that a football coach, you know, I'm just going to pull one out of the air. A suggestion like making a labor camp isolated so that you could get the economy running in your state again with your unpaid labor. That, that's, that's maybe not the comment to make right now. Yeah. I, like maybe there's, so there's like, there's good positive, you know, which is like, hey, everything sucks, but let's follow the rules and eventually we will get through this, right? Like that's as positive as you can possibly be right now. Hey, there's like NFL positive, which is like bleep blorp, nothing to see here, business football product being produced, you know, and that's that's very weird, but it's sort of like a different kind of escapist positive. And then there's like the Gundy Dabo kind of thing where it's like, you know, the the terrorist uh, virus is taking away our freedoms. You know, we, we need to, uh, it can't change our way of life. You know, uh, uh, we need to, we need to pray the disease away, rub some Jesus on it. You know, I'm going to vacation in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Me and my, me and my mega pastor, uh, jumbo jet, we're going to go park it in a, in a disease ridden swamp just to demonstrate our faith. You know, my clean, I'm sorry, my clean jumbo jet. It's the, it's been sanitized. What you riding on a dirty jet? <laughs> this was the thing that I thought was really funny that nobody picked up on because they were too busy um, making false equivalencies and bad faith arguments. Davo's making a point there that I'm not sure he intended to make, which is that oh look at me, little old Davo. I'm just folks, but but always the rich are going to be a little bit safer than the rest of us. Even in this situation, a plague is not a great equalizer of any sort because I'm sorry, do you have private jet sanitizing <laughs> money? Well, no, you're not little old Dabo. <laughs> Dabo, the guy who one of his he's Lobian at this point. He's gone full gravity falls. Yeah. <laughs> the the guy who one of his catchphrases is Roy Bus. The rest of y'all bus. You know, there's Alabama and then there's the little old rest of us. Oh. In our in our in our little old deeply sanitized private jet <laughs> oh he's just folks for I, I wonder also what 
what manner of vehicles he took. I'm picturing a very righteous gemstone setup of, you know, identical uh, Range Rovers taking Dabo from the door of his La Quinta ass castle uh, to whatever private jet port was ferrying him to whatever shitty beach. Speaking of terrible beaches, can we all agree as uh, current Georgians that maybe the last beach on earth worth dying for is Tybee Island. I mean, uh, it's it's up there. Um, it, it's bad. It's it, a bad beach. I mean, I don't want anybody to die for like Coney Island. You know, I don't want anybody to. Get... I've never been to Coney Island, but I have, sir, I have been to Tybee Island, and people risking death to go to Tybee Island. I'm like, no. Imagine that being the last thing you ever saw. Yeah, I got Imagine that being the last vacation you ever took. Was it nice? No. Was the sand at least pretty? No. Was the weather good? Not really. Uh, yeah, but did you show the terrorists who, who, uh, who who's boss? Did I you... sure own the libs. I mean, yeah. Mike, listen, Georgia doesn't have good beaches. I'm sorry. Not, not on the mainland, anyway. Alabama beaches put Georgia's to shame. So did Florida. Sorry no, about I, don't, I don't think that's a controversial opinion. <laughs> It's not, no. but I'm. It's not, but it's it's coming into my head because all the the Brunswick County orders being given out and countermanded, and all these people are rushing to of all places to have a flat, weird hill to die on. Tybee, really? You know that it's not a good beach if it's merits as a wildlife refuge and/or its ecological importance are cited. Do you know what that means? That means it's dirty and filled with reeds and birds. That's what it means. When they say Georgia's coastline is ecologically important and when beautiful. When the beach is described as loamy. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Absolutely not. It's a good beach to grow crops on. I might describe Georgia's beaches this way. I am from Georgia. I have never been to a Georgia beach. And I feel fine about that. Like, when we, when we want to go to the beach, we go to uh, any other state that we touch. We got lakes. Lakes are fine. But like, yeah. If you want to see the fucking ocean, I'm not really interested in doing it from the sandy shores of Georgia. Now, now, if you want to go, now also. If I want a weird mix of sand and dirt, I'll just go in my backyard. It basically kind of just looks like South Georgia dipping its toe in the water, which is as unscenic as you can imagine. Well, if you think of the, if you think of the map of Georgia, right? What part touches the water? The big old belly. Just going, just going to lean my belly over the ocean. I got that. Going to take my AR, AR-15. Going to plant it in the sand. Going to go get calf deep in that water and be like, whoa, life's a beach, y'all. <laughs> this is now my favorite dumb guy refrain is, whoa, man. I mean, just it's like life's a beach down here, man. Imagine, if the, imagine if the libs saw me out here with my ankles in the ocean. And by libs, I mean the city officials uh, and county officials of Brunswick County who are like, go home. (laughs) The people people whose economy depends on people showing up are like, no, stop it. So yeah, America's doing great. Have I ever told y'all how I thought due to its poor kerning that salt life said slut life for like 10 years? (laughs) And I, I pulled up behind, and, and it was not until I voiced it aloud that anyone correct me, because I pulled up behind a car that had like a 
the you know the the Georgia educators license plate with the little apple on it and it says you know support Georgia public schools and this big old salt life sticker plastered across the back and I was like it is great to see a public school teacher being sex positive in that way and my mother goes what I said mom look it's a slut and she just stared and then she informed me that it said salt life. And I was like, I have to take back so many good feelings about so many trucks that I've seen. <laughs> I, thought Georgia, I thought Georgia had a much higher percentage of King Ranch driving sex ed proponents. Yeah, who believed in, who believed in, uh, who believed in Yetis. Yeah. Who believed yeah, in Yeah, I was like, Sasquatch. you know, it used to be this little moment of, we're not so different, you and I. And now I'm like, no, we're back. We're back to being different. Yeah, I feel like the uh, the takeaway from Assault Life bumper sticker is sure they're referring to some beach thing, but this is also very likely the extent of their spice cabinet. This oh, you also have to remember that the next whenever they say some beach, you also have to remember that the next line after that is some beach somewhere because it sure as shit ain't here. Remember, there's two kinds of people who talk about going to the beach. Both of them are liars. They're the kind who claim they like the beach. And they don't. It's just that's their only idea of a vacation and they don't want to put any more effort into it. And there's the people who say, I love going to the beach. And what they actually love is they love going to the really overrated seafood restaurant located next to the beach where they can eat like cheddar biscuits and five pounds of deep fried shrimp and be like, wow, the beach is great. I love the ocean. Then let's go. Then let's go to the outlet mall. Also, I it took me a longer amount of time than it should have due to the way Clemson fans talk. But I finally last night managed to dig up the tweet exchange from the two dudes online in November of 2018 who were blaming Davos pastor uh, for his poor understanding of the Bible. What was this about? Uh, I'm and now I'm having trouble remembering which exact Dabo gaff this. Oh, it was when remember you remember the lament thing. Somewhat. Yeah. Anyway, I we had joked at some point that there was a uh, he learned the word lamented. Remember in November eighteenth, twenty eighteen, there was a, a press conference when he he learned the word lamented, and we joked that there were going to be uh, Clemson fans who were blaming Dabo's pastor for not keeping him uh, more in the fold of such a biblical word. Um, I'm going to check out those two guys and see what they think of the latest uh, kerfuffle. Yeah. I don't know. You know, here's the thing. I'm willing to accept this, by the way, that, uh, that, that Dabo knows more about, Football. One of them's an actual pastor, which I did not know this before. Uh, Dabo knows a lot about football, and he doesn't <laughs> oh, know a lot about this public dude has been broken down. Pastor Stewart is like, I am so tired of eating sandwiches for lunch. He's broken. <laughs> oh, you're down here with the rest of us. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem, by the way, with a coach being like, ah, you know, I think this, I think the season's going to start. That's cool. You're, you're not an expert. No one's an expert on this because we don't know. We don't know. It's very, very strange to be in a position where I'm like, can we please listen to Mac Brown? Man, Mac Brown did such a better job on this. Mac Brown is adhering to his archetype from your own coach taxonomy. That's right. 
and Davo, uh, not Davo, Gundy is firing off at the hip because he's a cop and cops have control issues. That's right. I wish we could just round everybody up. Boy, I bet you Boy, do. Boy, I bet you do, Gundy. Yeah. Bet you do. Also, it would save you the trouble of having to hunt them down yourself. You know. And also, by the way, remember, most important American right. Uh, you got a right to be stupid. And the counter right to that is this. You got a right to be called stupid. And Davo's being stupid. Guess what? Everybody does it. Some people just do it when they are the influential leader of an amateur sports organization who makes millions of dollars a year to coach a children's game. Other than that, no problem. (laughs) Speaking of uh, children's entertainment. Yes, uh, sir. (laughs) This past weekend saw the uh, only sporting-ish association still daring to uh, participate in activities on the mainland now that UFC has started its own seastead or whatever. Um, it was WrestleMania in an empty gym in Orlando and like partially pre taped and partially filmed at secret locations. And uh, like it was, it was, it was, like, was, a, was a cemetery set up inside a Hobby Lobby. I'm sorry, not a cemetery, a boneyard, motherfucking boneyard. It, it wasn't a boneyard till they got till AJ got there, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Slut life. <laughs> so yeah, it uh, it it was, it was somehow somehow it was extremely fun, extremely good. Um, primarily due to them being forced because of the complete lack of an audience to get creative and to say, oh yeah, hey Matt Hardy, that guy, that the the weirdo behind the 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 like mystical backyard wrestling videos that we hired and couldn't figure out what to do with and let him leave let's uh yeah let's just do his thing so so two of the matches one was the boneyard where undertaker whose entire gimmick is he's a uh, a, a cop who lives in a graveyard he welcomed <laughs> another guy in to wrestle him in that graveyard and then he murdered him boneyard law hey, hey they got a, they got a good union those cops who live in graveyards good union good benefits yeah, that, let's not talk to Taker about unions. I don't think he'd take too kindly to that idea. Oh. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> his Blue Lives Matter shirt aside, it was a very entertaining match. Nah, I guess you'd call it a match. Um, and then it was followed a night later by John Cena going in someplace even weirder to wrestle a character that I don't think the casual wrestling fan is all that super familiar with, but... Um, yeah, he had to go into a nightmare funhouse to confront his own demons over the last 20 years at the hands of a, an evil man who's sometimes a clown and sometimes demented Mr. Rogers. And it fucking ruled. It was, it was, I've been watching wrestling since the fucking 80s and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in this. Okay. Is it, is it the best WWE thing you've ever seen? It is the best wrestling thing I've ever seen. Okay. I don't know if it was better than Final Deletion because honestly, I watched Final Deletion, and I was inspired for, like, a year. Like, I felt just better about life. I just thought the idea of two grown men with very little budget shooting an actual backyard wrestling match that had no bearing on reality and no loyalty to it, man, I don't know. But the Firefly Funhouse match, that's the best WWE thing I've ever seen. I would say, I mean, obviously, it it wouldn't exist without – the Hardy brother, Hardy boys <laughs> with a Z. Yeah. 
final deletion, you know, and a big debt is owed. Not that that was the first cinematic wrestling thing. There's Lucha and then there's a bunch of old other stuff as well. Um, but it just period, it wouldn't exist in the mainstream without that. So a big debt is owed. To me, what they did, what uh, Wyatt and Cena did was they took that same level of like homebrewed insanity and they added like it became an actual full deconstructed history of like not just the two characters that were participating, but of like all of wrestling history in America, at least, you know, where, where you're going from like you start with like Vince McMahon within the story they're telling as like, you know, he's the one who he assembles all of it, all of these federations under one roof. He has one archetype he wants, you know, he wants he wants the Hulk Hogan guy who can be as mean as Stone Cold and can be as cool as The Rock. And he will try to force everyone into that, you know, into that role. And like within the story of the match, they're jumping around from era to era, from decade to decade, look to look. And it's all coming back to this, that Cena for his entire career has been willing and able to cram himself into that role, no matter how, miserable it makes the fans you know no matter how often he like subtly complains about it in his promos um no matter how often he apologizes to other wrestlers in his promos while saying like you didn't snatch the opportunity you know and we all know what that means um but yeah like it was a fascinating alternate demented history of wrestling told through two characters um and like I, it's it's the first wrestling thing i've ever like as soon as it was over like okay let me go watch this again with my with my English degree on, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, that was actually like, it it, it is it has lore, so I knew you would love it because it has lore, right? It referenced a vast trove of lore, and not only referenced it but also played with it a lot, right? Yeah, well, and like it is so rare in wrestling for well, at least in WWE for uh, for them to consciously be aware of their own history, characters' histories with each other. Um, with all, like you see, you know, all the time, it's, it's a trope. It's a, it's a trope they actually make fun of while it's happening where it's like, you know, this tag team, oh, they hated each other two months ago. Now they're best friends. Now they're turned on each other. Now they're best friends again. And there's like no consistency, consistency to it at all. This was like the first time we've ever seen a story get told over the course of 20 years. And it was, you know, on the one hand, it could be like this all the time. This is not embarrassing to. <laughs> this is not embarrassing to be watching as a grown up. You know, um, not that I care, but like, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, it was it was it was the coolest, best, smartest thing wrestling has ever done. Okay, so there is a remarkable moment. There was a moment that kind of took my head off in the middle of it, which is all right. So the just to go back, if you did not see it and are not familiar with it. The uh, psychotic character, the fiend, aka Bray Wyatt, who has kind of a, uh, it kind of a venom thing going on. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's possessed by a. He's possessed by this kind of all-seeing, all-powerful, horrifying demon. All right, and when he's not that, he's demented, Mister Rogers. Right, who talks about the fiend as if the fiend is in the third person. Right, like oh him. Yeah, I don't. I don't know him. He's just the guy in the mask. Right? Yeah, it's you should be nice to me, or he will hurt you. Correct. And he he hosts things from like the Firefly Funhouse, and in it, John Cena is subjected to this series of uh, psychological horrors from his past, i.e., the revelation that he is just another in a long chain of talents manipulated to fit 
a non-existent ideal of what wrestling should be, right? Is that a pretty fair summary, Jason? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's taken through this and revealed to be a hollow man, a nothing, and is destroyed by the fiend. Like Kevin Bacon. That's right. Correct. Like Kevin Kevin (laughs) Bacon. It was contributing. The moment in all of this that blew my mind is when the dumbest gimmick is introduced, right? And the history of the WWE, in short, under Vince McMahon, as far as character development, has been here are some good ideas. And then inevitably, those good ideas lose out to big beefy men slapping meat, right? Like they lose out to. Which, when Big E says it, I say, yes, this is perfect, but. That's right. When Big E says it, it's perfect. Um, when when Vince says it, it ruins things. Because inevitably, if you have a good character, uh, it won't matter if they weigh less than 250 pounds and look like some variation of Hulk Hogan and are either the All-American or are some kind of mega cool heel who sometimes actually beats Vince up, right? Those are the two. You got two options if you want to be the man in the wwe right yeah or if you're if you're a becky lynch who goes by the man you're basically lady stone cold yes you can be now that's progress in the wwe you can be one of two things if you want to be super super successful and now you can be one of two things in two genders right that's it choose choose your fighter there are two choices and then you can, there's also a male-female toggle on each of those. Yeah, after 20, 30 years, they were like, now, toggle for male or female. Now you can be Lady Stone Cold or Lady Hulk Hogan. That's it's basically your two options, right? So they're telling this story, and in it, they're going through, like, possible good ideas that Cena might have flirted with at one point, right? And inevitably, Cena is forced into this, like, hollow role of being like you know uh i think he turns heel this is when this happened he turns heel and he turns like nwo right like wcw they've like cracked out all the old wcw stuff like the logos and they had him do like an nwo promo and they flash to a puppet which is vince mcmahon with devil's horns right (laughs) uh like a rubbery terrifying puppet that's vince mcmahon in a suit and the suit by the way is hilarious because it's the old vince mcmahon suit the old mr mcmahon suit with like the double-breasted suit with like the huge shoulder pads, right? And he looks at the camera and goes, oh, that's good shit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the biggest possible wink to the people who have been complaining about bad wrestling storytelling for 10, 15, 20 years. Such shit is code shorthand for dumb shit Vince McMahon likes. So to have a Vince McMahon character say, in the final fucking hour of WrestleMania, like literally your biggest hour to have a Vince McMahon character making fun of the single dumbest thing about WWE. Like, come on, man, this is fucking brilliant. I cannot believe they got, they got him to sign off on this. Yeah. Chances are, I bet he didn't understand it. (laughs) There's also that possibly. (laughs) He probably, he probably did not. Uh, At that moment, that was spectacular in the middle, like wrapped in the middle of all of that. Oh, and at the very end, by the way, they vaporized one of WWE's biggest stars over the last 20 years. Literally. The end yeah. of the whole thing, John Cena just goes, poof. And, and like, he's gone. <laughs> and literally, what do we have there? What is Cena's catchphrase? You can't see me. Right? Like, it's the yeah. type of shit, like, 
if you, if you got a fucking English degree or whatever, like this type of shit, you're just like, oh my god, I'm gonna write thirty five thousand pages about this, and everyone's gonna be like, yeah, fucking get it, you know. Man, but <laughs> I I think Brandon Stroud might. Like, I really do. If you want to read the the best summary of this, uh, the at uprocks.com uh, under with spandex, their wrestling blog, just search. Go look for Brandon Stroud. Go find his description of the Firefly Funhouse match. It is exactly the full round trip deep dive that you would want on all of this if you've just listened to us discussing this and don't understand it all. Go there because it's just actually a good piece of literary criticism about one of the few things in wrestling that could actually be broken down to literary criticism. Can I say something about the Boneyard match? (laughs) Let Let us also devote some attention to the Boneyard. Okay. We're in the bone zone. And it's this. Okay. There is a certain type of entertainment and it transcends wrestling and it includes a lot of other different formats, movies, TV shows, some comic books, right? I'm sorry. And no graphic novels, by the way. <laughs> some yeah, fuck, comic- those. fuck those. This no is a comic book household. <laughs> yeah. And you'll understand why I am throwing graphic novels off the boat immediately for this. All right. There's a kind of entertainment that I like to call moron opera. All right. <laughs> and I and and I really like I really think like when you go, well, where do you why st- they give this thing wheels? Where do you um where do you stake out your claim in Xylophone terms of like do not need wheels? I disagree, so the kid can drag it around. It's for mobility. What if what if there's a xylophone on the other side of the room? That's right. You need someone to kick it to you. What what if you need to go double xylophone? Unassailable logic. Please continue. Actually, so, this cuts down on the number of xylophones that are thrown at people. So yeah. I think I agree with Holly. There's the moment. So moron opera. Moron opera is my one contribution to America's intellectual canon. Okay. Moron opera That's is... That's not true. You also... Uh, retconned Shirley Jackson stoning Ayn Rand to death. Oh, Shirley Jackson would beat the hide off Ayn Rand. Three hours. Tops. In the boneyard. In the (laughs) boneyard. This is what you wanted, huh? Ayn Rand beat me in the boneyard. Shirley Jackson's like, my happiness is the highest moral imperative. (laughs) She has a rock. My my moral imperative is hitting Ayn Rand with a rock. in with a piece of garden edging. Just swinging it like a claw. <clears throat> yeah. So, moron opera is I, my umbrella term for a form of entertainment where there will be no serious stretching. There will be very few expectations overcome. And on the whole, it's all done with a kind of loving acceptance of a certain level of like but real, of like real butt stupidity, right? My best example of this is Walker, Texas Ranger, okay? Because when I was watching the Boneyard match, I thought, man, God, this is so awesome, and it's so stupid, and it has so many conventions which have been passed on for like a 100 years about big man fight and big man fight little man that it all just made me think of Walker, Texas Ranger, another sort of thing where, like the Boneyard, I knew who was going to win. I knew that at one point, uh, I would be asked to believe something completely unbelievable and signed off on it ahead of time, right? Like the minute The Undertaker appears in a story, I'm like, well, some sort of spectral shenanigans will probably occur. Yeah, that man's going in a grave and then he's going to come out and then he's going to put the other guy in the grave. Yeah, that's going to happen, right? The dialogue, I'm not looking for some kind of like, you know, uh, 
extremely constructed artisanal toughness a la, you know, uh, your, your hell or high water, your highbrow Western. No, I'm looking for the big dumb Western like Tombstone. Tombstone is also firmly in moron opera, by the way, right? There's a little fig leaf of smart guy in there where, you know, we put, we put the smart guy, Val Kilmer, as the effeminate intellectual who, who, you know, can still like shoot a bird at 500 yards with a pistol, even though he's got tuberculosis, right? No, Tombstone's good moron opera great moron opera because as i quote in the description all mustaches and lightning are real i think in that movie you have kurt russell daring someone to shoot him in the head so like what more do you need like skin that that smoke wagon yeah Yeah. that's what he says at one point uh a man is abusing a horse and kurt russell rolls over hits the man in the face with the bridle and says hurts don't it Yeah. yeah yeah That's right, you know, and stupid people, stupid people in Moron Opera aren't just stupid. They're like grandiosely theatrically stupid, like Billy Bob Thorne's character, the dealer, the Pharaoh dealer, if you'll remember, who says, God damn, it's like playing with my kids. He's just (laughs) vulgar and like throwing bottles everywhere. It's not just that the bad guy's bad or the stupid guy's stupid. They're grandiosely stupid. Crazy people aren't just crazy. They're like crazy beyond their own interest and for no goddamn reason, right? Michael Bean, Michael Bean in that movie, right? Hey, Lunger. Like, Michael Bean takes no scenes off in that movie and has an intensity that no man alive has ever possessed. And that's the point. So when you get to that, or when you get to an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger, where I know Walker's going to end up spinning heel kick somebody, right? Where I know... In, in jeans. In, in, in action jeans, right? Is there any other kind? Unfortunately, yes. Although, who wrestled in jeans? Oh, Elias. Elias at WrestleMania had some great action jeans on, man. Within this very, within the boneyard, I believe, at least AJ was in jeans, was, was taking cuts in leather. AJ, AJ Styles died, died in, in boot cut jeans. So, Pete Georgia. It <laughs> is how he would have wanted to go. <laughs> Bury me in boot cuts Bury in me. Fast Pro Shop. Bury, Bury me with my jeans. Black jeans, short but longer. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. Thank you. Also, um, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna yell at him about his prowess of getting the tractor started faster, but you know he's dead now. That match would have been over if AJ Styles had had any actual manual labor in his life. He could have started that tractor sooner and put the dead man down. But instead, no. The Undertaker uh, rose from the grave without explanation. Also, with theatrical lighting behind him. Remember, when The Undertaker gets going, this being moron opera, everything's on the table, right? It's one of the great liberating things about the form. Yeah. And I would include, include, by the way, Final Deletion, classic moron opera. Absolutely. Yeah, that's probably a better category for it. Like, if you compare these two things, you know, in this one, you have, why are they fighting? Well, because AJ Styles said Undertaker's wife is mean. Yeah, where AJ like, Styles must die. That's got, the story. Right. We've got good, like, Made some really convoluted metaphors about his wife and her careerism. Yeah. See, that's, that's the other thing, too. Like, like, you're not asking me to overcome the patriarchy in a in moron opera, right? You're not asking me, me to be, like, totally sexist. You're just asking me to be, like, when that guy. When somebody goes, hey, man, I said something about your wife. Like, not even, it wasn't even the content. AJ Styles just could have looked at Undertaker to make this work, right, in a moron opera. 
AJ Styles could have just looked at The Undertaker and gone, wife, wife. You know, and then like maybe, maybe. I'm a wife guy. I'm a wife ghoul. (laughs) He could have done that. And that would have been enough, right? Undertaker would have gone, wife. (laughs) Toward the end of this match, when it was clear Taker was close to finishing him off um, as part of the 100% uh, on the fly dialogue. He says to AJ, say something about my wife now. <laughs> right, right. He throws him off and, a, like, uh, a graveyard shed. Yes, and by the way, like uh, other fantastic touches of like classic moron opera, once AJ Styles had his ass good and beat, what did he do? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please don't there, bury there me. There was a great warble in there. I know. Like, he's so, like, it should be said, by the way, when the WWE went theatrical... I should say this. I love AJ without irony. No, he's... Sorry. He's... Like, sorry about it. He's great at this. He's been one of the best wrestlers, period, for the past, what, 15 years? He's an excellent performer, and he's so good at dry humor and just saying the fucking thing, and somehow it's hilarious. Yeah, like, he is inherently funny to listen to in certain contexts, and he killed this. You, you don't... By the way, takes real talent to pull this off right and in order to sell it taker can i tell you how cool it was to actually hear taker you never hear taker right and i i i've hated his bit for like the last 10 to 15 years because um it's so slow it's so theatrical and there's no i'm just supposed to accept the credit given for being undertaker and i don't really work like that right i work if you have a mouth if you like if you're able to talk right my favorite wrestler of all time jason you know Who's my favorite wrestler of all time? That's either Stone Cold or Ric Flair. It would be Stone Cold. Yeah, that, that's the one I have the most emotional reaction to, right? Because R- Ric Flair wants you know to be in the mansion, and Stone Cold wants to burn the mansion. And I'm way more of a burn the mansion, take the beer guy. And thus, Stone Cold will always be my favorite wrestler. I don't really have control over how I react to him in terms of appearances in the ring. And... What I loved about Taker is that you actually got a character. You got to hear him. You got to hear him, by the way, undersell. When he's like, that's what you want, huh? <laughs> like, it was like legit, like legit creepy. Also, yeah. the, the cinematic form where it does not need to be uh, constant live action in front of a crowd that is sitting there, you can hide the fact that Taker can barely fucking walk. Like, he can still look cool and badass and tough, even though he will, like, openly admit he can barely fucking move. Yeah, they, if, you, if you stuck around, by the way, after uh, part two of WrestleMania, the first thing that they went to was the WWE Network's documentary on Undertaker, which is intriguing, by the way, that, like, like if, you, if you watch the network, which, hey, if you got the free, free trial, you got about three weeks, right? Go ahead, knock yourself out. Watch the Undertaker documentary. His training routine for the better part of 15 years now has been, I do WrestleMania, I go get a bunch of surgeries, and then I start preparing for WrestleMania the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, (laughs) I think you had the two extremes of how to do this kind of cinematic storytelling. Like you had one where good guy kills bad guy. And it rules, right? And it was like heavy on... Um, they're just barking whatever comes into their minds at each other. And it's largely about the stunts, you know, and then you had the other where there was basically one move 
completely scripted from the very beginning, no difficulty at all, but it's all about like, all right, we, the two of us sat down and we wrote draft after draft after draft to refine all this. And we've got it to the point where like Cena, Mr. Superman, all America is believably the bad guy. And yeah. like this evil demented clown is believably the good guy, right? Like the two extremes of storytelling. Oh. And, and by the way, not only like brilliantly constructed and like legit art at that point in the best sense of the word uh, and entertainment also acted their asses off. I know yes. Cena, I mean, everybody knows Cena is a really, really good actor and has proven it, you know, like if you have not seen Trainwreck, Trainwreck, John Cena is the funniest part of that movie. Is right? that it, the Tina Fey one? Or? No, that's the, that would be, uh, that would be the one about the people who had the party, right? Um, which I can't remember. He's also very funny in that and has very, very, very dyed black hair. Uh, in Trainwreck, he plays Amy Schumer's boyfriend, oh, yeah, yeah. who is clearly gay, and and says things like, "Hey, buddy, I'll kick your ass. I'll massage that ass. I'll rub <laughs> it down with oil." It says it in really threatening ways. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it says it in, like really threatening ways, but it's saying these very like very elaborate come on lines to other men like that, and, and does it by the way without being like, "Ha ha." you know homophobia no no you're just like oh that's this this guy's got a problem yeah it's more like he clearly does not realize this about himself yeah yeah like a complete and sells the obliviousness right and cena by the way sold like self-doubt and like a real crumbling of the psyche as he realized he had made a deal with the devil because that's the core conceit here right is that john cena uh john a demon shows john cena that he has made a deal with the devil and And like there's a point toward the end where um, they take Cena back to like his 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 freestyle rapper gimmick, which gosh that that takes a while to explain, doesn't it? But anyway, Cena was a, a rapping wrestler for a while, um, and like it is very awkward to square this dude who would just make like really mean sex jokes about his opponents and then immediately go spend the next six days, you know, granting Make a Wish visits for kids, right? Like, is this really the same person? You know, and. Uh, Wyatt gives Cena, he says, literally, you have the floor, you have one more chance, basically, to say something nice. And Cena does another D's nuts joke. And then it's like, okay, well, you, you, you know, you, you've learned nothing, you will now be destroyed. Um, but like, ultimately, the story they're telling is one of like, you have to go through this dark night of the soul in order to be in order to become something better. And that's like the story they're telling with the fiend, which is like, you know, he faced Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan goes from being a long-haired villain back to being a short-haired good guy. And I don't think the hair length is really integral to it, but it's, you know, it just signals the immediate character change. Whereas, yeah, Or, or th- that that character to himself, which is, you know, this is like going way, way, way down said rabbit hole. It's an admission that WWE screwed up a character. Yes. They screwed, they so screwed, now, up, they screwed up a great character in Bray Wyatt by having him lose... To Cena, right? Yes. So what they have now in Fiend is basically, and, and by the way, we're going, we're, we're going to make a football point with all this. What they have right now in Fiend is basically in the comic books world, a retcon machine where like you fucked up a character. Guess what? Just run him through the funhouse and then he's good. But Seth Rollins, who is awesome as a weaselly heel, they decided to make him Captain America. And it just was not a fit. 
he faces the fiend and he comes back as the self-proclaimed messiah of wrestling this like awful egotistical heel and it's perfect it works he's great again so like you go through this horrible process you confront the bullshit you've built up around yourself and you are reborn as what you were supposed to be all along what you know and now going forward we have i assume cena takes a year off till wrestlemania or whatever and then he comes back and that'll be fascinating because it could be either NWO villain Cena, which people have wanted for like 15 years, or it could just be funny, nice, hardworking Cena. You know, like we could see a character closer to what we sort of think his real person, you know, his, his, his real uh, daily persona is like. And either of those would be fascinating, you know. Um, so we were sort of thinking since this happened, you know, in April, since this was a, in effect, Cena versus Cena. This was a spring game. This was, <laughs> this was, uh, you know, one part of one part of this institution had to face another with the goal of coming out better than they were going in. Um, so this can be applied to football. If we were to book a football funhouse match, and I believe we each, you know, picked an example of how this could work. Yeah, mine, mine is very. You have a very involved one. Yes. And we just went long on explaining this thing. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to start short. Okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. Give us the, uh, give us the ladder match. Okay. So <laughs> your short, but effective ladder match is this, that the dark night of the soul here is me. I already look like Bray Wyatt, right? Yes. Taking Albert, the alligator into the fun house, the Firefly fun house, right? And going over the past 20 years in the same manner, saying that to sell to, in order to keep up the deal that they'd originally made, to be a good football team, right? With one member of the family, i.e. Steve Spurrier, they had to eventually betray the family and hire an outsider when things didn't quite work in the order of succession. That brings in Urban Meyer, who, as we've seen, is the man from Hadleyburg. He is the person who comes in. He is the music man who says, hey, you know what? I can solve all your problems with this here marching band, right? I can, I can sell you a monorail, and it'll be great. It's worked before. It worked in Salt Lake, and it worked in Bowling Green. And by gum, it'll work here in Gainesville. But I think, I don't know if you people are ready for it here in Gainesville. That's more of a south bend idea <laughs> and all of a sudden everybody in the town hall goes no 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 we can we can handle it we'll pay for it what is it and then he says monorail and unlike the monorail episode of the simpsons by the way this pays off we get two titles back to back one unexpected nobody really thought 06 would happen if you want to know like the, the miracle the, like the, the little like the one that was actually a surprise that's 06 happened too fast and then 08 and then in return, what happens when you pay a lot of money for really fast results? Well, some of the time, it crumbles. And then it'll be a hall of mirrors deciding that, no, we're not going to be an offensive powerhouse. We're going to be a defensive powerhouse, but with moral fiber and doing it the right way. Going back to our SEC roots and then remembering your roots weren't that good to begin with. <laughs> right? Like like Florida roots, <laughs> they're gonna hit they're gonna hit groundwater real fast. Yeah, right. You're, you're gonna want something. You're gonna want something aggressive 
weird and different in order to thrive in this savage environment. Not, say, a really big, dumb, old oak tree like Will Muschamp. No. Oh, and then we'll, we'll bounce the other way. We'll, we'll go and try to do what everybody else is doing, shedding the identity. We'll go and do what Alabama, we'll hire someone from Alabama. That'll work. And then again, realizing that the thing that made them work was their guy, not this mask you bought, not this knockoff that you bought. And now finally trying to come around to something, something that reminds you of the good old days, which were in fact never good because you hired somebody from the man from Hadleyburg's administration who you believe is the right thing. Florida football, constantly buying a new lie over and over again. Nice. So what is the, um, what is, what is the ultimate truth that you should hire Steve Spurrier again? The ultimate truth is that you should hire Steve Spurrier again. Smart. I like it. That's <laughs> foolproof. <laughs> I, I, think, I actually think the ultimate truth is in that environment, nothing gold can stay because uh, everything rusts there. So. I would just go ahead and embrace your fate as being the tacky, aggressive, hard-moving program that occasionally gets popped for things, right? And has to try new and aggressive things because unlike Ohio State, unlike Alabama, and unlike certain other teams, I'm not going to name one because I believe it infringes on your dark night of the soul. But unlike certain teams, you don't have built-in advantages to get to 10 wins every year you don't you can probably live at that seven to eight win right say oh that's fine okay well i'm gonna take 20 percent of your net income i'm gonna take 30 percent of your total output how do you feel that's what it's like to be a seven and eight team as opposed to like a 10 or 11 win team or a nine win team right if you think this isn't the truth go talk to texas you need to go ahead and you're in florida grow fangs get thorns get toxic <laughs> So, like, if you have Ohio State, say they're the Stone Cold here. They yeah. have had, they've been the same the same mean ass character forever. It works. It will never not work. Whereas Florida, that's got to be more of a Chris Jericho. Every five years, you scrap everything and start over with a completely new character. Will it work? I don't know. If it doesn't, you try again in two years instead of five. I think that's that is absolutely correct. I think you need to reboot, and I think your 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 strength needs to be your cunning. Right? Chris Jericho and all of his characters, cunning, right? And a list, by the way. Florida football always needs a list, just like Chris Jericho. We always need a grudge and we always need a list because you know who doesn't need grudges? Overdogs, right? Institutionalists. They don't need grudges because they'll always be right around the 10 win mark if they just keep plugging, right? For a long time, by the way, overdog and that kind of thing, that described Michigan, right? Like that's, that's completely Michigan football for a very long time. But they became so complacent in doing things the right the <clears throat> I'm sorry, <laughs> one way uh-huh. that, that they eventually fell off that. It's possible to lose your spot on the hill, right? Florida historically has never had that mansion on the hill. So what do you do? I, man, go big, but you know, may, go big, get your IPO every five years, go bust, retool, come back, go to Japan for a while if you have to, like Chris Jericho did. Do do what you need to do in order to keep that up because you'll never be one of the institutional powers. 
I feel like Michigan is one of those. Uh, they're an old uh, black and white photo strongman with the bathing suit, you know, and like they're like, wow, this huge strapping grappler weighs 170 pounds, you know. <laughs> like they're from those days and it's where it's like when you look back at like ancient 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 wrestling it's like do do even the people who are participating know it's fake you know like that that's yeah. michigan's glory run also michigan's glory run three moves three moves right like oh the camel clutch oh the boston crab the spear the spear the, the, man, the, form, ta- the form tackle yeah what is what what is um holly do you have a dark night of the soul for a program i had one since we're we're running up on on time here i had one that's short but disruptive uh to the concept here because i just want you guys to ponder something because i think it would be a little bit different what would this look like for nc state (laughs) what what happens when you like what would the what does the nightmare team for so many other teams see when it closes its eyes? I'm not sure I know, but I can't stop turning the possibilities over in my head. That you would, that you would constantly be, I sort of see. Or is it like their spring game? Yeah, maybe you just. Oh God, what if the team on the other sideline is, is, you know, two Spider-Men in red and white pointing at each other. This feels like putting them in wrestling terms, the most mid card guy through the funhouse, yeah. yeah. like Dolph Ziggler, come on down. <laughs> no one remembers any of your previous characters, not even you, because they're all the same. They're all seven and five. I, I think the night, or you know, who ruins the ruiner? I think the nightmare. I think the nightmare for that is that Dolph Ziggler, when given if the Dolph Ziggler of football programs, when given a twelve or when given you know a twelve game schedule, always gets to eight games and disappears right? No matter what happens, right? They say if they have 16 words to say in a sentence, they get to 12 and then they can't get the remaining four out. Like you're always operating at like a 60% cap, right? I think the internet wrestling community would really like NC State because they embrace 50-50 booking. (laughs) That's an excellent point. Um, Um, Anyway, just turning that over in my head this morning. (laughs) <laughs> that's a pretty wild one um so i decided so we are going to all right first scene of this thing we are entering we have entered the horror zone first thing we see is a sunlit la yellow and orange horizon we're gazing it from up on the hill up on the hollywood hill we learn we pull back and we have usc mufasa is sitting there talking to usc simba And he says, look, USC Simba, look before you at all of Los Angeles, Hollywood. It's all ours. Everything the smog touches is our kingdom. 11 national titles, seven Heismans. It's all our birthright. We're entitled to all of this because we are Trojans. That is the important takeaway from all this is that we are Trojans. And so this is ours. We go to a country club. Next scene. (laughs) Seated are Lynn Swan, Pat Hayden, all the, you know, all the, all the long time people defined by nothing other than being Trojans. Um, And also people who are associated with all the oldest, best, most athletic, most legitimately scary USC teams. Who should burst in the door at that moment, but a shadowy swamp cult figure with a big old barrel chest who played lineman in college 
and got humiliated like a decade ago. We're kind of talking about oh, that. No. But there's also someone else this calls to mind. <laughs> <laughs> he appears before them and he reminds them that all their successes came by hiring from outside the country club. Pete Carroll, who is basically the exact same hiring situation as Arizona State hiring Herm Edwards, um, you know, a mediocre NFL coach who had not been in college forever. This is the guy who made the last, you know, the last time USC mattered, it was this outsider who did it. Howard Jones, USC's first four national titles. He came from Duke, John McKay, and John Robinson. That's another five national titles. And those guys had spent like uh, a combined two decades at Oregon and one year each at USC before they came on. Higher outside the country club is the lesson. And then our big shadowy swamp lord continues by pointing out USC's dud hires. Helton, Sark, Kiffin, Hackett, Robinson 2.0. They were all hired because they had been Trojans before. And I think those are all like capital letters, right? <laughs> been Trojans. That's, that's the whole... That's the whole resume. Um, then, we, you know, we pan out, pan down the table. Who is sitting there? But why, it's Will Ferrell, of course. USC's human avatar, Will Ferrell. We go back to the year 2008. This was USC's last, you know, the, the, the end of their last really good run. Ferrell at that time, of course, had released his, uh, his masterpiece, Step Brothers. Easily the, one of the finest films ever made. We all agree. Yeah, but, but, by the way, an inspiration for the Boneyard, Matt. It probably really was. Yeah, Undertaker made AJ eat the white poop. <laughs> yep. Um, so the lesson of this movie, of course, is if your family has a lot of money, you get a million chances to grow up. If your kids are, you know, if you're in this environment and people are failing to grow up, then cut the fucking cord. Leave the family. Go outside the family. We pan further. There's Aunt Becky. The lesson of Aunt Becky, of course, trying to get her kid into USC and Arizona State is that sometimes it's okay to be good enough for Arizona State. Herm Edwards was, therefore Pete Carroll was. Next, we cut to the spring game, the Coliseum. There's a hard rain falling. We got swamp conditions in the Coliseum. Then our swamp lord, he's there. He says, you had your chance, Trojans. You were gifted, not a Trojan horse, but a Trojan tiger who threatened to make your football team a little dirty, but a little badass too. And what did you do with that tiger? You sent him home to the swamps and went back to paying butlers to do your golf for you. So now, Swan, Sark, Kiffin, Helton, Hayden, all the other entitled Trojan family lifers, their funhouse penance is they have to suit up for a football game against the stone the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone of college football. The country club boys have to be dragged into the smoking swamps of Louisiana by the tiger paws of Ed the Fiend Ogeron. <laughs> and only then, once the Trojan family has learned it must become a family that does not seek to lord over everything the smog touches, but instead welcomes it, all of it, onto the hill. Once these pretty, bo pretty boys have been baptized in filth, can they be reborn as the awesome team they've always supposed to be? USC Simba. This is your painful rebirth. You were born an entitled royal, a spoiled monarch, a lion. But you will die a tiger. Can I tell you, one, that was brilliant. Two, that whatever piece of metal you hit was perfectly timed. <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, oh, actually, it was even more perfect than you realized because it was indeed a metal folding chair. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I hit it with I, my foot. 
I mean, the the Ogeron part is my favorite because it's the Bray Wyatt storyline. You could have had this. This could have worked. And instead, no, you took me into this. Yeah. But that's okay to feed fish me. Yeah. So think about it, USC. Consider this for, uh, you know, you, you, there's a chance we won't have a football season. So maybe just, maybe just think about doing this because Coach O's, you know, he's, he's free as well. Come on in the fun house.